Part 2 of our BaseballHQ.com team previews next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, February 17th. It's show number two of the 2017 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great show for you. It's part two of our two-part Fantasy Baseball team preview. Once again, we have BaseballHQ.com's team analysts, Rob Carroll, Matt Dodge, Rick Green, Phil Hertz, Tom Kephart, Jock Thompson, and Rod Truesdell, reporting on teams from Milwaukee to Washington, all with the 21st century convenience of alphabetical order. We'll hear about spring training position battles, players to watch for value, players to watch for caution, and potential impact prospects. And speaking of prospects, BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon will be here with a preseason look at St. Louis pitching prospect Luke Weaver. It's another terrific show here at Baseball HQ Radio. And from the luxury boxes to the bleachers, we're glad to have you with us. Hey, what do you say? Spring training games get going next week. We gotta talk some baseball. And to start us off in part two of our team previews, we head to Milwaukee and we say hi to BaseballHQ.com team analyst Tom Kephart. Tom, it's good to have you back. Where are the position battles to watch with the Brewers? Well, they do have a battle behind the plate at catcher between uh, Jet Bandy, who was acquired in the offseason in a trade, Andrew Susak, who was acquired in a July trade from San Francisco last year, and Manny Pena, a journeyman who came up and got some playing time after hitting almost 330 in AAA. Which players on the roster do you think, uh, on a rebuilding club, there should be some value opportunities here? Uh, who might they be? There are a lot of question marks in terms of the exact playing time uh, different players might get. With Keon Broxton in center field, there is the potential that he could have a breakout season, though he has, his contact issues uh, might limit that breakout possibility. Such a good speed-power mix tilted more towards speed that makes him appealing. It's rather enticing to be able to get that speed-power combination that he potentially provides, yet there are questions as to whether he can really hang on to a regular job. Uh, so he's one of those players who you could reap value with, or you might get the downside where he plays poorly early in the season and loses a lot of playing time. Hernan Perez, there are questions as to how much playing time he's going to get or as he moves around the diamond. Uh, he's almost certainly to platoon at third base on the wrong side of a platoon there with Travis Shaw, but how much more playing time will he get? The big, I guess, breakout possibility here is Domingo Santana in the outfield. Santana is uh, someone who could, if he can stay healthy, could pop 25, 30 home runs, though probably with only a 250-ish batting average. But he's someone who seems to be being drafted rather late and you might be able to get him quite a bit later in the draft or for less uh, money in an auction 
than you would pay for some others who would provide similar production. And on the other side of the coin, Tom, uh, when we look at that Milwaukee roster, is there anybody who stands out to you as a player to avoid at the draft, either because they're going to be overpriced or because they're just simply not going to be good enough? Well, I would say that uh, apart from Zach Davies, you might want to avoid uh, the starting rotation. Uh, Davies is uh, someone who might be a useful in-gamer in most formats. Uh, there are battles in the rotation. They seem to have six pitchers for five spots. But Junior Guerra and Louis Peralta seem more or less definites to open the season with Matt Garza, Jimmy Nelson, and Chase Anderson battling for the fourth and fifth spots. But they're all pedestrian or less than pedestrian in terms of skills and performance recently. So Davies is really the only starting pitcher that you might want to consider having on your roster. And then in the bullpen, uh, it's not entirely clear where the, who's, going to be allocate, who's going to be getting the saves or what the saves allocation might be. This is another potential value source. Uh, veteran Neftali Feliz, an off-season free agent signing, could possibly bring value because he might wind up getting more saves than anticipated. It's also possible, though, that if he pitches well, Milwaukee could trade him at midseason, as they did uh, with a couple of relievers last year. And, of course, uh, Baseball HQ Research has shown that if you're looking for saves from teams, you need to focus your attention on good teams with lots of wins because the, the proportion is usually right around 50%, and this Milwaukee team looks like it could be a candidate to lose 100, which means they're only going to win 60, and uh, probably not all the, all, all the saves are going to go to one guy. Right, there could be a limited number of saves, and they probably won't go all to one guy because you have youngsters, Corey Knabel and Jacob Barnes, who could be in the mix here, um, depending on Feliz's performance. Feliz looms as the front runner, but he's not necessarily guaranteed to be the opening day closer. And it's a young team and a rebuilding team that usually means uh, opportunities for rookies and prospects. Are there any? Uh, down the pipeline for Milwaukee that we should be looking at as reserve round picks or or even uh, draft picks because they might get into the lineup and force their way into some production? Well, uh, Lewis Brinson is their top prospect. Now, he struggled last year in AA, but he is uh, uh, expected to be called up at some point during the 2017 season, and he could take over in center field. He poses another uh, risk to Keon Braxton's eventual playing time. So watch for Branson to be up at some point in 2017. Though Again, an, a very nice power-speed blend, though questions about what kind of batting average and on-base percentage he might provide. Branson might be somebody who might struggle initially, and then he might take a while to develop at the major league level. And then on the pitching side, they have multiple uh, starters who could be up at various points throughout the season. Josh Hader is the pitching prospect who's gotten the most attention. He's a high strikeout pitcher who has control and command issues. So Hader has the potential to be a possible quit killer if he's called up and inserted in the rotation, though he would provide likely more than a strikeout per inning. The other pitching prospect who is of interest is Brandon Woodruff. Uh, Woodruff is a control command pitcher who still gets an ample supply of strikeouts, and Woodruff has the kind of skills 
that might allow him to transition well to the major leagues because he's the type of pitcher, while he has much less upside than Hader, he might be more likely to have immediate success at the major league level. All right, Tom, this wraps up uh, everybody for you. Your teams are done. I really appreciate you taking the time last week and this week, and uh, hope you have a great uh, fantasy season, and thanks so much. Okay, you too, Patrick. Tom Kephart is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the Brewers. Now let's off, go off to the land of 10,000 lakes and the Minnesota Twins, and here's Rick Green. And Rick, as we head into spring training with the Twins, where do you think the key position battles are going to be? I'm looking at uh, the, uh, the battles there at pitching. Uh, Jose Barrios, um, we want to see if he's going to hold off Tyler Duffy, Trevor May for the fifth spot in the rotation. Uh, also, uh, you know, Barrios, he's uh, you know, had a great uh, season at AAA. 2.51 ERA, 125 strikeouts, and 111 innings pitched. Kind of struggled a little bit uh, when he got to the Twins, and yeah, maybe the bloom has uh, gone off a little bit on his uh, prospect status, but I wouldn't uh, sleep on this guy. He, he could, uh, certainly young enough, he could turn around and you know, be an asset for your team. Yeah, I'm going to be watching that battle as well. Uh, I think maybe he still might be a little too young, but uh, I'd certainly spend a buck or two at the end of my draft to land him just on the uh, upside po- possibilities. Uh, when you look at the Minnesota Twins roster, not a lot of names there. Maybe Joe Maurer, Miguel Sano. Is there anybody on the roster you think is a potential profit center? Uh, I'm, again, looking at pitching there to uh, maybe find a little bit of profit. Kyle Gibson, he had a good uh, 2015, uh, struggled last year. He's another one of those endgame flyers, one buck on him. I'd probably prefer uh, Berrios over Gibson, but, you know, if someone else gets Berrios for a buck, maybe two, might want to turn my attention to Gibson a little bit there. Uh, another a pitcher that I'd want to avoid would be uh, Irvin Santana. Um, he had a good ERA last year. I think uh, his ERA was about 2.40 in the second half, which really lowered that ERA, but... I I think he's a guy that I'm going to let someone else take a chance on. I don't expect him to put up similar numbers to last year. Does the team have any rookies or prospects in the pipeline that we could expect either to make the club out of spring training or maybe have an impact at, say, the All-Star break or some kind of sort of mid-season call-up? I think uh, Byron Buxton and uh, Miguel Sano, certainly not rookies anymore, but those are two guys that, that I want to look at real hard. I think... Uh, with Buxton, you're going to have some growing pains. He might struggle a little bit with contact, but you know his, his status is still pretty high in my book. And Sano, he's a, a guy that hurt you with average, but you got 30 home run potential there. So those are two guys that I'm looking at. Brian Dozier, um, to get away from the prospects there a little bit, but uh, 42 home runs last year. I, I don't know many people that saw that coming at all. And 20 somewhere after August 1st, I think it was 23. You're not going to see a similar season from Dozier this year. Um, I think maybe the projections for HQ 35, 85, and 17 skills might be a little bit bullish. So I would uh, not expect that. If you get it, you know that's icing on the cake. But I certainly want to, wouldn't want to pay full value for him. Rick, when we're talking about uh, uh, Byron Buxton, here's a, he's a former number one draft pick. He's had all the prospect pedigree in the world. Doesn't it seem to you that this is the kind of player who at some point is probably going to have a really big fantasy year, and the problem is we just don't know when it might be. It might not be this year, might not be next year, could be either of those years. It's really tough to say. Yeah, it is sometimes. I mean, look back at the A-Rod 10-step path to stardom, and he's perhaps is on that. Um, I would still chance uh, him uh, 
this year, next year. And I'd, I'd want to have him on my team just anticipating that, that breakout year because if you get him, you're going to like him and you're going to want to keep him for a while. I think the problem with Byron Buxton, though, Rick, might be the big September is going to raise a lot of people's expectations, and you might go in there thinking maybe you could grab him for 15 bucks or something like that on the stolen bases and find yourself at 15 being the fourth guy in the bidding. Yeah, um, you know, that bidding could go up to uh, 20 bucks on him. I would, I would go up to 20 If it were me, I would go up to 20 and maybe cap it there. Um, you still might get a slight profit out of it, but... You know, with with those prospects, you know he's 23 years old. You know there there is a little bit of risk associated, but with him, but I would jump in and and um, take that chance because I think uh, the payoff could be could be big for him. Okay, Rick, thanks very much. Rick Green is the Baseball HQ team analyst for the Minnesota Twins. Now let's move on to the Mets and uh, BaseballHQ.com analyst Phil Hertz. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me again, Phil. Mets are a pretty solid-looking club as the spring training gets underway. What roster battles are you watching? In my mind, there are two battles. One is at the the back of the Mets rotation, assuming Harvey, DeGrom, uh, Syndergaard, and Mats are healthy. There's one slot left, and uh, I think the two leading candidates are Robert Gazelman and Zach Wheeler, although Seth Lugo could put put himself into that uh, mix. Um, My hunch is it'll be Gazelman. Uh, partly because I think they want to control Wheeler's innings and stick him in the bullpen until one of those guys gets hurt or needs a rest. Um, and Lugo, I think, just winds up being the long man in the bullpen. Gazelman's um, kind of interesting. He's a guy that was only hitting in the low 90s in the minors and then suddenly got to the majors and added five miles per hour to his fastball, which, you know, you just sit there going, where'd that come from? But um, he, he ended up striking out almost a batter an inning, uh, over 44 innings. Um, and um, a lot of people are comparing him to the Jacob deGrom uh, timeline. So um, I think he's somebody that people will you know, want to keep an eye on because he could end up being like a number, the equivalent of a number three starter, even if he, on the Mets he's the number five guy. The other battle is partly a, an outfield and, and maybe a first base battle. The, the Mets have effectively four uh, left-handed power hitters uh, in Jay Bruce, Curtis Granderson, Michael Conforto, and Lucas Duda, and there's at most two-and-a-half spots for those guys. So something's got to give. Um, the Mets have already said Bruce is the, the right fielder, um, meaning that Granderson's probably going to be the center fielder, and Conforto it may be the odd man out unless they decide to put him at first base. Well, they ran Conforto out of town to Las Vegas last year for a while, and then there was a lot of complaints in Mets land that the manager was not treating him fairly. Well, those, those complaints still exist. On the other hand, you might note that he hit two forty two against right-handed pitching and 104 against left-handed pitching. So, you know, it's you can sort of see where Collins was coming from, but, you know, a lot of people... You know, or you know, are are still saying that, and still saying that you know, Conforto just should be in the lineup every day, and you know, and everybody else works around him. Um, I'm still thinking the Mets may make a trade, although the the latest I've heard is that it won't be Granderson or or Bruce, but perhaps Juan Lagares. The uh, of course the story from those fans was it's because Collins was not giving him regular playing time that he was hitting so poorly and Collins's point of view is because he's hitting so poorly he's not getting playing time chicken egg who knows right it's the circle game yep 
it's amazing, you know, because, you know, if you asked somebody on May 1st last year what would uh, Conforto's outcome for the year be, he would have been in MVP contention, and by six weeks later he's playing for the Las Vegas, whatever they call him. <laughs> Which players on the Mets do you think look uh, interesting from a value perspective? I think both Jose Reyes and Wilmer Flores are guys that, particularly in semi-deep leagues, you want to grab. Neither of them are, are starters at this point, but they're both very versatile. Reyes is even working out in the outfield, and they, they both may get 400 at-bats before all is said it's done. Uh, Reyes, uh, probably, if he were to get that, would probably be looking at double digits in homers and uh, steals, and Flores had 16 homers and 300 at-bats last year. So those are the kind of guys you can probably grab, you know, in the middle to second half of your draft, and you may end up getting, you know, first, you know, first-string value out of them. How about on the other side of the coin, Phil? Which players on the Mets do you think are going to be overpriced at draft and should be avoided? Well, I don't know about overpriced, but I'd avoid David Wright like the plague, <laughs> unless you can get him for like a buck or two. Um, and then, I, you know, Conforto, Duda, and all those guys, you know, it's just hard to, to spend a lot of money on them unless you know what their, ro- their roles are. Does the team have any rookies or prospects coming up we should be looking at because they could have an impact? Well, for, uh, just to, to make it clear to people, Gazelman qualifies as a prospect, so I'm not sure um, uh, how much that, you know, to put into that. But besides those two, um, there are two guys that are on most, team, most uh, top hundreds uh, lists and also, uh, in one case, top 10 to 20 lists. Um, the guy that I think is more likely to see action is the guy who's in the second half of the top 100 list. That's Dominic Smith. Um, he was a first-round pick about three years ago and has consistently been hitting well, but uh, the power had been missing. Uh, but last year at Double uh, A, he um, uh, hit well. He hit over 300, had 14 homers, which in the, the Eastern League put him close to the top 10. Uh, and he also had 29 doubles. Um, he's a left-handed batter. If Duda struggles, gets hurt, I could see him coming up pretty fast, um, particularly if they've decided that Conforto isn't the first baseman. Um, the other guy is, is uh, especially long-term that people want to grab is Ahmed Rosario, who um, I've seen as high as number five on the top 100 list. He's a, another one of those young shortstops. He's consistently hit over 300 um, and had an 873 ops, I think, last year. So um, uh, he, you know, he's going to be. Both of them are going to be in AAA, just waiting. Now, um, you know, one of the complications for any prospect on the Mets is if you look at their bench, they're, you know, we're talking about somebody like T.J. Rivera who had 300 over 100 bats last year, probably going back to AAA because um, they're just, you know, if you look at uh, benches, their bench is one of the best in baseball. All right, Phil, the Mets sound promising this year. Uh, Thanks very much for helping us out. We'll get you back in a few minutes with Philadelphia. Great, thank you. Phil Hertz covers the New York Mets as a team analyst for BaseballHQ.com. Now let's stay in the Big Apple and head up to the Bronx and the New York Yankees and BaseballHQ.com team analyst Matt Dodge. Matt, the New York Yankees had something of an uncharacteristic rebuilding season last year, although they uh, turned out to be a little better than a lot of people thought they might be. As we head into spring training 2017, what kind of position battles are you looking at as the Yankees go into their training camp? Well, I think the big 
the most interesting and biggest battle will be at first base, where Chris Carter, recently signed to a one-year deal by the Yankees, joins Greg Bird and Tyler Austin in trying to sort out first base um, playing time for the Yankees. Carter, of course, is a big power guy with 41 home runs in 2016, and he actually gets a park effects boost going from Miller Park to Yankee Stadium as a right-handed batter. Um, He does swing from the right side, and the Yankees would really like to have Greg Bird, the left-handed swinging bat of of the three, uh, to be able to return from his shoulder surgery and take a major part of the first base playing time. But there's still DH for Chris Carter as well. So the early thoughts are that Carter will at least play first base against left-handed pitching and will join Matt Holliday in the DH spot when it comes to the right-handers. Tyler Austin looks to be the odd man out, but he's working himself into a utility coverage for the infield and outfield corners if he is unsuccessful in winning significant playing time just at first base. When you look at the Yankees roster, do you see any obvious potential sources of value and profit or any hidden ones? I think that there is some potential profit for Matt Holliday. I think... I may be, I've been in the minority in this in a lot of uh, places, but the fact that he can come to be a just about every day designated hitter, he can run up the at-bat total, he can take advantage of the ballpark, uh, his hard contact stays strong, stay, has stayed strong. He did lose some time last year with a wrist injury, but before the wrist injury, his hard contact rate was was in line with his general you know, aging pattern, and I think that there's a chance that he could be undervalued in drafts and someone who would be worth picking up. The one, the one who's a gamble in that regard is Michael Pineda. If you look at the, if you look at his performance across the board, he made improvements in his dominance rate, his strikeouts per nine innings. His swinging strike rate, his first pitch strike rate, his velocity improved. The only problem is the ball keeps flying out of the park when he is pitching. And that's a problem, especially in a, in a ballpark like that. Uh, still, I think Michael Pineda merits some uh, looking at. I think you're right about that. Uh, if he puts it all together, this is a top-of-the-rotation type guy who could be available for third-starter third type money. Uh, which player on the club do you think uh, smart owners are going to be leery of? I think the player to, to think twice about is Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, his speed numbers, his speed rating, his stolen base opportunities, they're, they're all in decline. The, the power side of the equation is also in the decline. He did lose the leadoff role in 2016. They moved him back to the two-hole and moved Brett Gardner back into leadoff. And I think Ellsbury is someone who people will look back at that $30 season from a few years back, and that's not coming back for Jacoby Ellsbury. 
I imagine some people are looking back at it now and saying that that's not coming back for Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, finally, does the Yankees uh, organization, they picked up a lot of good prospects last season when they were trading away our oldest Chapman, etc. Are any of these guys poised to make a fantasy impact in 2017? Probably not to make an impact in 2017. In 2018, perhaps. Clint Frazier may be able to play at the end of 2017 and get an appearance most of the Yankees haul that they made in prospects are a couple of years away. We should start seeing more of them in 2018. One of their own homegrown ones, James Caprellian, uh, he lost time to injury. He came back in the Arizona Fall League as well. He probably looks to have a full year in the minors in 2017 and prepare himself for 2018. Okay, Matt, uh, thanks very much for the New York Yankees update. You'll be back a little later in this show with Tampa and Toronto. Righto. Matt Dodge is the BaseballHQ.com analyst for the New York Yankees. Now we'll go down to the West Coast and the Oakland Athletics and Rod Truesdell. Rod, Oakland rebuilding again this year. Are there going to be as many key roster battles as we think? Well, Patrick, it looks like a couple of places. Uh, I'm most intrigued with the back end of their starting rotation. Uh, four and five starters are are up in the air. Uh, several young pitchers with some upside uh, going for those spots. Uh, Andrew Triggs uh, has been a a relatively unheralded prospect for them, but has really put up some excellent skills. And uh, he he seems to have an inside track for one uh, one spot. Really broke out in the second half in the minors last year. Had some injury problems, so his major league stats don't look too great. But Triggs is is an intriguing uh, guy, as is Jarrell Cotton. Uh, Cotton came up and got a cup of coffee and pitched really well in September. Uh, Cotton doesn't throw particularly hard, but he's got a great uh, changeup. And he added a cutter last year as well, and that seems to have has helped his... Uh, hitability, if you will. And so those are probably the two lead guys between Triggs and Cotton. There's a couple of others that are in the mix. Uh, Raul Alcantara also came over in that same trade with Cotton from the Dodgers. Uh, He's got a a good arm. Jesse Hahn has been a yo-yo between Oakland and the Miners with various injuries and poor performance. Uh, and uh, then the other really uh, main roster battle is in left field, uh, which is wide open. And frankly, none of the candidates are, oh, what I'd say, particularly uh, appealing. <laughs> uh, it appears they're going to give a look to uh, left-handed uh, rookie uh, Jacob Brugman, but they've brought in uh, Alejandro Deaza, uh, Mark Canna, veteran that's been there a while, uh, Jake Smolinski sort of a, a southpaw torturer. Uh, all of those guys are, are probably going to be in the mix, but uh, I, I don't look for any of those being uh, guys that uh, fantasy leaguers will really want to watch that closely to target to try to, to catch a sleeper because none of them have really flashed great skills. Yeah, in a very deep league, I can see somebody being interested as maybe catching a fifth outfielder in an AL-only league if it looks like a guy's going to get 400 at-bats and might be able to do something with it. But it doesn't look like uh, the A's are going to have really very much to offer, period, except outside of the first couple of guys in the 
in the uh, pitching rotation as well as those back-end guys that you mentioned. Having said all that, when you look at the A's roster, do you see any potential uh, sneaky value to be had? Sean Manea, uh, one of their, another one of the young pitchers, uh, really uh, shown well last year. Uh, he paddled a little bit of injury problem, but he finished very strong, and he's still uh, not a household name in a lot of areas. Uh, so he, he's a guy that, that really uh, could, could step up this year and uh, be uh, unnoticed in, in some leagues. And, and really turn in a profit. And, of course, uh, anytime you've got somebody that can hit 40 homers, uh, he's going to be interesting. So Chris with a K, Davis, uh, his, his first uh, or his second full go-around with, in the AL, uh, maybe his first eligible in some leagues, depending on rules, uh, he's somebody that could be picked up uh, as well. I had Manea on my uh, Tout Wars Ale roster last season, and he was a really pleasant surprise at that time. I mean, he pitched to a 404 ERA, which wasn't uh, as thrilling as it might have been, but I think he pitched better than that. He had a, a pretty decent strikeout rate at 7.7, which is kind of league average, but he didn't walk a lot of guys. I don't mind Sean Manea either. Now, it looks like there's a lot of players on Oakland that you think owners might want to avoid. But what kind of players are there who might fetch an extra dollar or two that you think might be ill-advised to spend that kind of money? The guy who, who seems to me like will, will end up being overvalued um, as, as we get into the season, and this is uh, somewhat controversial because there are some who are high on this guy, but Ryan Healy, his uh, skills really didn't support the, the relatively gaudy numbers that he put up. I mean, he uh, had an over 300 average and, and showed a lot of power uh, numbers anyhow. But the peripherals, not quite as impressed, both in the power and the batting average uh, plate skills. So I think he's going to regress a little bit. It's not to say he's going to be poor, but uh, with, with the numbers that he put up in a half season, a lot of uh, fantasy leaguers will probably just want to double his half-season numbers, and, and that would seem to be a pretty uh, uh, unwise proposition to me. And finally, does Oakland have any pro- uh, rookies or prospects in the pipeline that we should be aware of after uh, trading away some really prized ones uh, for not as much as they should have got? Right. They did kind of clean out uh, a few of their top ones uh, a couple of years ago, but one kid they still got on the farm who uh, still uh, is, Expected to be outstanding is Franklin Barreto, middle infielder. Uh, coming up, they're trying him at shortstop, but that he's being, it looks like groomed perhaps to slide into second base where Oakland does seem to have a little bit more of a spot. He hit really well uh, for a, a very young player, a 20-year-old last year in the high minors, uh, and uh, has had some terrific speed. He's Probably someone you'll see at some point this year, and, and depending on how well uh, you know, the likes of Jed Lowry uh, hold it together at second base, it could be sooner than later, and that would be a, a young player to, to target, especially for keeper leagues. All right, that's good information about the Oakland Athletics. Uh, Rod, we'll have you back in the show a little later on to talk about Seattle, and then later on still about Texas, so we'll see you in a few minutes. Sounds great. See you then, PD. Rod Truesdell is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the Athletics. When we come back, we'll go to Philadelphia and BaseballHQ.com analyst Phil Hertz coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. Whether we realize it or not, 
Our draft day behavior is highly influenced by everyone around us. We rely on the wisdom of the crowd for decision making. The problem with that is that the crowd is often dead wrong. The 2017 First Pitch Forum program moves you beyond the wisdom of the crowd by identifying the places to stray from consensus opinion. We have rebuilt this year's program from the ground up with the help of some of the sharpest minds in the fantasy baseball industry. All sessions are hosted by Baseball HQ founder Ron Chandler and feature other Baseball HQ writers and industry experts. We will be in Chicago on February 25th and St. Louis on February 26th, Washington, D.C., Virginia on March 3rd, New York, New Jersey on March 4th, Boston on March 5th, Los Angeles on March 11th, and San Francisco on March 12th. Come out and join us for three hours of invaluable draft prep time. First Pitch Forums, we'll see you there. First Pitch Forums start next weekend, Saturday, February 25th in Chicago, Sunday, February 26th in St. Louis. Go to BaseballHQ.com, look for the First Pitch Forums link on the right-hand side, click it and find out more. Register today. It's a lot of fun. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Continuing with our 2017 Fantasy Team Preview, and we go to Philadelphia. And once again, here's Phil Hertz. Phil, welcome back. Hey, Patrick. Philadelphia is a team kind of in transition, trying to find its identity a little bit, I think. And so as we head into spring, where do you think we should be watching for key roster battles that will have fantasy effect? Well, clearly the, 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 the one issue that I think nobody has a, at least a, a solid view on is who's going to close and how, for how long. Um, 16 incumbent for most of the year was Denmark and Gomez, who you know sort of was a smoke and mirrors guy, and then just utterly collapsed in uh, September. Even with that, he, you know he's only a guy who strikes out about six guys per nine innings, uh, but he held the job from mid-April to Labor Day, so you never know there. Um, the guy that seemed to be the the alternative last year was Hector Neris, and he had a dominant season in terms of uh, skills. But he also was uh, pretty awful in September, and he's the kind of guy who doesn't seem to be getting uh, a lot of first-pitch strikes and um, has uh, a, a, a control issues that may be signs. And then finally, they've got Joaquin Benoit, who um, broke a lot of hearts or had their hearts broken when he wasn't the closer in 2015, um, but has closed in the past, and... Um, he was uh, he did pretty well in the second half of 2016, but even that were not supported by his skills. And he's 39 years of age, so it could be any of those three. And the winner, particularly if it's Gomez or Benoit, might disappear midseason anyway. Which players on the Philadelphia roster look interesting you from a value perspective? I think Michael Franco is one of those guys who disappointed people last year and therefore won't get as much push in the in dollar uh, or draft position. And not even though he hit 25 homers, but I like his contact rate, and I think he's going to be a guy that might hit 30 homers, particularly in that band box they call uh, Citizen Bank Park. What about Michael Saunders, signed as a free agent out of Toronto after a great first half and a bad second half? I, I think he's just going to go about where he goes. Yeah. In NL-only leagues, he'll be the, the new kid on block and may go a little bit higher. But I think, you know, he's a guy that um, should do well in that ballpark. And I, and I don't put, you know, I just it's the kind of thing where over 
over the course of the year, you get hot streaks and, and down streaks, but I think he'll, he'll do fine. He might be platooned a little bit there, but um, overall, I don't think, um, you know, he, he'll, he'll be a solid guy and he'll go about where he should go. Interesting thing about Michael Saunders, reverse split. He hits left-handers better than right. Uh, which player on this Philadelphia club do you think we should be avoiding? Uh, I'm, I'm going to avoid Cesar Hernandez. Um, he, uh, a lot of his value last year came from a real elevated hit rate, and he's also a guy who's been criticized a lot for defense um, and even his baseball acumen. It, the kind of guy that gets thrown out at third with, uh, with, uh, with uh, one out and, uh, or no outs and, and, or two outs and things like that. Um, and um, the, the Phillies do have, um, quote-unquote, an, an uber prospect, um, uh, J.P. Crawford, who's a shortstop. And while Hernandez has been playing second, the, the Phillies also have Freddie Galvis, who is not a gold glove, is one of the better fielding um, shortstops around and, and has played some second base. And I have a feeling... Um, there's a competition between Hernandez and Galvis to be essentially the last guy standing when, uh, when Crawford comes up, and i got a feeling it's going to be Galvis. I think it will be too. Phil, thanks very much for helping us out. You'll be back in a few minutes with the St. Louis Cardinals, and we'll talk to you then. Okay. Phil Hertz is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now we'll stay in the Keystone State, but over to Pittsburgh we go and BaseballHQ.com team analyst Rod Truesdell. Rod, when we look at the Pirates, where do we see the roster battle shaping up in spring training? Boy, the Pirates look like they have a lot of uh, spots set in their lineup. I want to see who's going to emerge the back end of the rotation. I don't know if Chad Cool's going to be there, uh, Stephen Brault, or maybe even Drew Hutchison. The rest of the uh, rotation... Looks like Cole, Nova, Tyon, and uh, Tyler Glasnow. I think Glasnow and Tyon are two guys to target. When you look at the overall roster, where do you see the value? You know, I'm really bullish on Gregory Polanco with the Pirates this year. Um, he's probably going his ADPs in the mid-60s. I would probably draft him somewhere in the 40s. Um, I think he's going to have a, a breakout year. I think upside, 30 home runs, 280 average. 20 steals. That's that's what I, I'm expecting from him this year. I, I think it's going to be a big year for Polanco. I know Marte and McCutcheon are two guys where have the big value, but I, I'm looking at Polanco. I wanted to ask you about Andrew McCutcheon. He's been sinking in a lot of uh, drafts and the experts' drafts and in early mocks that are going on. Uh, do you think this is a potential bounce back year? How cautious would you be about Andrew McCutcheon going into 2017 as a Pirates observer? I got a little bit of caution there with, with McCutcheon, but I think there's uh, some value there. If people were backing off, I would uh, look at him. The Pirates just announced they're going to move McCutcheon to right field. Marte is going to be in center and Polanco is going to be in left. That might help a little bit on the wear and tear of McCutcheon. He's probably one of the uh, he graded uh, poorly in center field last year. It might help him uh, keep him a little bit refreshed key with McCutcheon is uh, his health. If he can stay healthy, avoid some of those nagging injuries that have plagued him the last couple years. I think home run total in the mid-20s, 80-some RBIs. If you're drafting McCutcheon to get some steals, I think you're going to be disappointed. His uh, stolen base totals have uh, dropped. I think maybe 10 is the max for for McCutcheon this year. Which uh, Pirates do you think savvy owners should be thinking about uh, avoiding as potential value traps? I want to stay away from uh, from Kang at third base. Um, he's got some some problems there with uh, DUI. He was uh, arrested in, uh, in Korea. You know, I don't know uh, how that's going to play out in um, in Korea. And then is Major League Baseball going to issue a punishment too? If if there is something coming down the line with Kang, then 
You could look at David Freeze as someone who could uh, benefit from some extra at-bats there. Josh Bell is another guy I'm looking at. Unfortunately, he announced he has a knee injury. Uh, he's going to have surgery. He's going to miss probably two to four weeks, maybe miss uh, the start of spring training. That's something to keep an eye on to see if there's nothing serious there. I think they're going to count on Bell to uh, provide some lift. If uh, his health uh, looks like he's going to be ready to go after a couple weeks uh, in February, uh, not miss much of spring training, then he's a guy that... Uh, that also I want to look at. How does the Pirates' prospect pipeline look to as far as getting guys maybe joining the team right out of spring training or possibly coming up as midseason call-ups? I think Austin Matthews is one to uh, look at. If the Pirates are struggling uh, this year, McCutcheon could be a candidate to be traded. I mean, there were there was talk this offseason. You know, um, the hot stove league, McCutcheon was a rumor to go. Um, they held on to him. If, if Austin Matthews is ready, then McCutcheon could be shipped out. Austin Matthews, also the name of a, a very highly prized player in the National Hockey League, an Arizona kid who was the first pick overall. So Austin Matthews, a good name for prospects. Rick, thanks a million for helping us out. Glad to do it. Rick Green covers the Pittsburgh Pirates as a team analyst for BaseballHQ.com. Now let's head out to the West Coast and the San Diego Padres. And once again, BaseballHQ.com team analyst, Jock Thompson. Hey, Jock. Hey, PD. It doesn't look like this team has done a lot to improve from a poor year last year, and it looks like it's going to be another long season in San Diego. Nonetheless, there will be some roster battles for fantasy owners to look at. What are you watching in San Diego? Yes, yeah, going to be a, uh, a lot of playing time battles. Uh, they've got an, an interesting outfield situation. They have four talented kids uh, chasing three jobs. Uh, obviously, everyone's heard of Manuel Margot uh, and Hunter Renfro, at least those people who are following prospects. Uh, but Travis Jankowski and Alex Dickerson uh, held their own last year. I think there's going to be a lot of playing time split between the, those four, barring, barring injuries or trades, and I think they're all fantasy-worthy in, uh, in most leagues. Uh, catcher's going to be an interesting battle. I think they're finally going to give Austin Hedge some, uh, some time after his power breakout in AAA last year. Um, and their rotation is going to be scrambled pretty much all year. There, there's not a lot of value there. Uh, that's what's going to drag the team down, I think. What about in the uh, bullpen? I know they've got a few choices, none of them really outstanding, but uh, Carter Capps' name jumps out at me just because Carter Capps can really throw the throw the ball and get the strikeouts. Yeah, Carter Capps, before he went down with uh, what I, with Tommy John surgery, uh, he was he was putting up some amazing numbers. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm just pulling them up here. Uh, in in 31 innings back in 2015, he was averaging 16.8 strikeouts per nine innings. He was getting a, a ridiculous uh, um, 26% swinging strike rate. Uh, he was throwing 98 miles an hour, and he was and he was only walking two two batters per nine innings. So, yeah, there was an awful lot of talent there before he went down. And uh, if he can throw as hard and uh, and and bring it all back. Uh, he, He's going to be a year off Tommy John, I think, in April or May. So given that reliever's time is a little bit shorter to get back, or usually to get back anyway, you could see him uh, in, in the San Diego bullpen again sometime uh, May, June, July, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see uh, where he goes from there because the back end of that Padre bullpen with uh, um, Brandon Maurer and Ryan Buchter uh, pitching the ninth inning hasn't been particularly great. And, of course, BaseballHQ.com research in the past has shown that teams that don't get a lot of wins don't get a lot of saves, typically, and uh, San Diego doesn't look like they're going to get a lot of wins. So 
irrespective of who ends up getting the getting the saves in San Diego is probably not going to be a top quality guy for counting stats. Uh, you mentioned Alex Dickerson. Uh, I really like Alex Dickerson as a potential guy here. A lot of people talking about Margot and Renfro, as you said, but here's uh, Dickerson, decent power speed guy in the minors. And last year he had about what, 250 at-bats or so. 10 homers, 5 bags, you double that, it's 2010. He's got a 10% walk rate, not a complete dud against left-handed pitching. I like Alex Dickerson, but which player on this club do you think savvy owners should avoid? Yeah, um, I like Dickerson as well. Um, and if you're looking for someone on the Padres to avoid, um, I would say Ryan Chimp. And this is a guy who, who came up in the middle of last year. He hit a ton of home runs, but he really struggles with contact. Um, he had a 60% contact rate, and he could not hit lefties to save his life. Um, I wonder whether he's going to hit enough home runs to even maintain the the right-handed uh, the, the the second base bats against uh, right-handed pitching. He's a left-handed hitter. Um, if he if he can't hit more than two twenty two thirty, um, he's going to struggle. I would let somebody else chase Ryan Shimp. Sounds like a guy to uh, nominate rather than to bid on uh, or to take in uh, in your straight draft. What about Will Myers? Can he repeat two thousand sixteen? I think it's going to be tough. I think that was a uh, a career year for Will. Um, obviously, he signed a uh, um, a contract, but uh, uh, or I'm sorry, a, an extension now with uh, with the Padres. But if you look at his second half, um, his numbers actually tailed off um, a lot. Uh, he only hit 230 in the second half over his last 290 at bats, um, and his power numbers ta- tapered off. His his expected power. And, uh, and power indexes were all down. Uh, Will Myers is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but I think if you're if you're expecting another, um, um, oh, what did he hit? Uh, uh, Twenty-eight home runs and ninety-four RBIs. You might be disappointed. Twenty-eight stolen bases. That was way out of character. So um, I would temper my expectations a little with Will Myers on this team. And finally, Jock, uh, you mentioned the outfielders, Margot and Renfro, obviously top quality prospects that should be interesting this year. Anybody else that we should be looking at because they might get there this season and have some useful fantasy impact? Well, Travis Jankowski, again, uh, last year um, when he was playing, um, uh, before he got hurt, uh, he stole 30 bases in uh, in um, 335 at-bats and with stolen bases being at a premium. Um, you can't discount that speed. And he was a very good defender, so I expect them to... Um, to find him um, playing time. Um, another guy I like a little bit is uh, Carlos Asuaje. He's he's not a world beater, but he barrels up very well. He um, he he did he did really well in AAA last year. Um, he hit over 300. Um, this is a guy who can move around the infield. He can play third base. He can play second base. Uh, he's a competent, not great fielder, but um, this is a guy who 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 could help out a little bit if he if he continues to make contact uh, at that per, at, at, a, at a decent rate. And before I let you go, Jock, uh, there's quite a bit of talk about Christian Betancourt, the catcher. Of course, he could be used this season as a catcher, probably will be, but he might also get some appearances on the mound. He could be a pitcher out there. Is he of any interest as a catcher or a pitcher? Yeah, as a pitcher, I don't know. I mean, I... I didn't see that much of him. Uh, as a catcher, he actually improved a little bit last year, um, both catching and and even uh, even offensively. Uh, um, that court, I'm, I'm just I'm bringing it up right now. Um, last year, I remember in the second half, I watched him, um, and and he actually did a little bit better. He only hit 228, but uh, he hit six home runs and 193 at bats. This is a guy who's a good athlete, but is still rough around the edges. Uh, 
skill wise. Um, he he uh, he struggles to make contact, um, but uh, you can't ignore the athleticism. Unfortunately, he's turning twenty five, so he's more of a watch than a hold right now. I would think. Well, we say catchers develop a little later, so it might be worth keeping at least half an eye on Jock. Thanks a million for helping us out with the Padres and last week with the Houston Astros and the two L.A. clubs. And, of course, we'll talk to you as our regular American League beat reporter when our normal HQ Radio podcast gets rolling next week. Sounds good, PD. We'll see you in a few weeks. Jock Thompson covers the San Diego Padres as a team analyst for BaseballHQ.com. Now straight up the West Coast we go to Seattle and the Mariners. And here once again is BaseballHQ.com team analyst Rod Truesdell. Rod, when you look at spring training in the Mariners camp, where do you see the roster battle shaping up? Well, Patrick, uh, Seattle GM Jerry DePoto worked very hard in the offseason turning over that roster. And and at this point, he's really filled just about every spot that would otherwise be available. The one exception to that probably being right field. Uh, it looks right now, uh, coming in, the, the noise coming out of Seattle is that they want to give that job, if they can, to the player that came over from Arizona uh, with Gene Segura, uh, Mitch Haniger. Not perhaps as well-known, uh, came up last year, last couple of months, didn't do a lot uh, with, with Arizona, but he broke out uh, – with power numbers in AAA prior to that and uh, at Reno, which, of course, is a good hitting, hitter's park. But he did show some good power skills uh, in his uh, peripherals after he was, was recalled, even though he didn't turn in perhaps some of the numbers. Uh, he draws a lot of walks, got a patient approach, strikes out a bit, so uh, batting average could, could suffer a little. But he's a guy with at least some upside and is uh, at an age right now uh, where he's still got a year or two of development. He's 26. So he, he could uh, be somebody that, that uh, ends up winning that job in, in right field for the Mariners. When we look at rosters like Seattle, we see some big names, Kyle Seeger and Robinson Cano, of course. Uh, but sometimes those guys aren't everything they're cracked up to be as far as profit is concerned. When you look at the Mariners roster, where's the profit? I like the guy they picked up from Kansas City. Uh, that's Gerard Dyson. Uh, Dyson, speed merchant, has never been able to get more than 300 at-bats in a season, uh, still, as he moves into his 30s. And yet he still retained excellent speed and, and now seems to have at least the long side of a platoon just waiting for him there in left field in Seattle. And uh, with his uh, profile, he, he's improved his uh, his overall plate skills over the last few years and still, as I said, has, has the great speed, always manages to turn in uh, really fine stolen base totals, even with part-time work. And so you know, with uh, somewhere in the 400, 450 at bat level, if he can, can get that, uh, there's, there's 50 steel upside there. And in the AL with the, the dearth of steals, uh, that's, uh, that would be some, some profit almost certainly. Uh, a couple of other guys uh, on the pitching side that are interesting, uh, Drew Smiley, whom they, they picked up from Tampa. He fits a, a profile to, to potentially uh, excel in Seattle. Uh, left-handed guy, fly ball pitcher, uh, both of which uh, play well for, for Safeco Field, uh, which has really been tough on, on right-handed hitters, even with their changed uh, dimensions. So he could uh, end up excelling if he can stay healthy there in Seattle. And then another uh, young player who came up mid-season last year, uh, Edwin Diaz, is pretty much entrenched there as the closer. Put up some fantastic skills, uh, great stuff. 
and in a league where maybe uh, guys tuned out around the middle of the year last year, they may not be as familiar with him, so may be able to score a Diaz for a buck or two less than, than you might otherwise think. And most of my drafts, guys are going to have read enough magazines to know that uh, Diaz is out there with his 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Certainly a, a tremendous pick. I, I want to get back to something you said about Gerard Dyson, which is his steadily improving skills at getting on base. The knock on Dyson that I've been hearing is as he moves from part-time at-bats, you said no more than 300, maybe he gets up to 450 or 500 playing on the right side of the platoon and maybe some against some uh, on the wrong side as well. His skills have been really improving over the last few years, and when I look at him, I see a guy who's just getting better and better at a lot of stuff. His strikeout rate has fallen from 25% of his plate appearances down to 12, and his walk rate has risen uh, uh, steadily the last few years, and he's around 8% now, and he hits a ton of ground balls. Everything points in the right direction for Gerard Dyson to have a really decent year. It's a perfect profile. I mean, that's what you want from your, your speed guy. Good contact, hit the ball on the ground. Uh, beat that out, beat out some infield hits, and, and as you said, that contact uh, rate has been going up for three straight years now, and uh, that's, that's the key. If he can put the ball in play and draw a few walks, get on base, uh, that, that's, that's what you want from your, from your speed guy. If he can maintain that 270 batting average, that plays in an American League league and even in a mixed league with all those bags. And then if you're playing in an on-base league, he was around 340 last year, which is a plus. So Gerard Dyson, not a bad guy to look at. Uh, at the same time, sometimes players, especially big-name players, tend to draw more interest than they should. Which player on the Seattle club do you think owners need to be cautious about? Well, the other guy who came over from Arizona, uh, the headliner, Gene Segura, the shortstop, Put up a, a huge year last year, and especially uh, just a mammoth second half. But just before that, for the last several years, had really underperformed. And a lot of his uh, peripherals just really don't support that level of output. And the fact that he's uh, changing leagues, so he's going to be a new guy for a lot of AL owners who will just uh, look at that big output from last year. I have a feeling he'll be overvalued in a lot of leagues. And finally, do the Mariners have any rookies or prospects in their pipeline that we should be looking at who might break camp with the team and be useful or come up midseason? Again, their, their roster's fairly well set. Uh, one young outfielder who has shown well, who, who could see time in that outfield, especially if uh, the aforementioned Mitch Hanniger doesn't perhaps perform as well, is a kid named Tyler O'Neill, uh, right-hand hitter, uh, showed some pop last year in the in the minors still young and uh, still with uh, some some what looked like holes in his swing a little bit uh, but he's shown well and and hit well in the fall league so he's a guy down the road that you might want to keep an eye on Rod Truesdell is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the Mariners. Now let's head straight south on the Pacific Coast to San Francisco and Rob Carroll. Rob, when you look at the Giants going into spring training, where are the key roster battles? Well, Patrick, the most obvious one is in left field, where we have Mac Williamson and Jarrett Parker. They're kind of complementary players with the same deficiencies. They've, you know, they have the same track record, like 150 at-bats, low 200 batting averages severe contact issues, especially with Parker. But the uh, Giants are going to have to see what they can eke out of those two. 
Now, part of that solution may lie in another minor battle at third base between Eduardo Nunez and new Korean signee Jae Guan Hwang, who they uh, picked up after hitting like 330 in Korea. It's possible that Nunez can turn into like a super utility player and shuffle to the outfield, or maybe Hwang can move to the outfield as part of that solution. So that kind of might factor into the Williamson-Parker thing. And then they have the, five, the fifth starter issue between former, former workhorse Matt Cain, uh, rookie Ty Block, and Albert Suarez, who had 12 starts for him last year. When you look at this Giants roster, there's some big names still. Uh, any potential sources of value and profit is the, is the key question. I'm still waiting for kind of a mini breakout from Brandon Belt. He uh, first baseman, he had a 16% walk rate last year. His splits are negligible. He hits both lefties and righty equally. Now, he did have a slight power dip in 2016. He's got a tough home park. But I can see him kind of foraging over like a 290-25 home run. You know, that's not top tier, but that ain't bad either. On the flip side, what about players that might be overvalued and represent a pretty good potential for a loss if somebody pays what the market is asking? Well, I'm sorry to say this about my old friend Hunter Pence, but I, I think he's on the, kind of the outs here. He's he's 34 years old. You know, he for two and a half seasons he played every game. Over the last uh, three years, he's had 112 DL days, and you know he's he's still a very skilled hitter, makes good contact, plays hard, but the stolen bases have all but evaporated. And like 400 at bats last year. He had one stolen base, and he didn't take advantage of any opportunities that were given. So, unfortunately, um, Hunter Pence might be on a kind of a swift downside. Don't don't pay top dollar for him. Does San Francisco have any rookies or prospects who could have an impact this year, whether right out of the gate or partway through the season? Not really, Patrick. Their their best two prospects are a first baseman named Chris Shaw, and a shortstop named Christian Arroyo, and they played Double A last year and. And they're a little bit far away, skills and age-wise. But there's a right-hand pitcher named Tyler Bede, who led the Eastern League in ERA and was second in strikeouts. And he'll probably start the season in double-A, but he has more upside than uh, Ty Black. And he has more K potential, so you know he could supplant Matt Cain or, or Block or Albert Suarez as a fifth starter by midseason. Rob, while we're talking about the San Francisco Giants, I'd like to ask your opinion about Buster Posey. He usually goes for a pretty good dollar and a high draft round pick because of his production at catcher, but that production seems to have been slipping from his $29 heyday in 2012 when he had a 336 batting average and 103 RBIs, 24 home runs. Last year, 14 home runs. He hit under 300. He only had 80 RBIs. Catching's tough. Is it time for us to start rethinking how much we're willing to invest in Buster Posey? I don't think quite yet. I think he's still the, one of the top catchers available. Um, he hits for power, average, draws a walk. Um, I, I just think he's, in terms of his position, he's about as, as solid as investment as you can have. Of course, there's always the age, there's always the injury factor. Um, Nick Hunley was signed so um, to play as, as a backup. So it's possible that, that he could uh, see a little more action at first base. But, uh, no, I think uh, Posey's about as, as good as it gets behind the plate. And how many Giants will uh, Madison Bumgarner hit more home runs then? 
if he was given the same number of at-bats as, like, Eduardo Nunez, he'd probably hit about uh, 16 home runs. But, yeah, I, I can foresee him batting eighth in the order. He, he's always fun to watch, and especially his, his tall tails. All right, I've, I've always been curious about pitchers who can hit. I think it's the coolest thing. And then you start wondering, uh, I know there's a player, Christian Betancourt, uh, down in San Diego, I believe, and uh, he's a catcher who they say is going to pitch some this year, and I don't know if he's any good as a pitcher or a catcher. We'll have to wait and see, but those kind of double-ended players are, are interesting. Also, the guy who throws both hands. I think those kind of guys are interesting, too. Padres may have to audition Betancourt. They, they've, they've got uh, some woes on their staff. Do they ever. Uh, Rob, thanks a million for helping us out, not just with San Francisco, but last week with Colorado and Arizona as well. It's always great talking to you, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. Rob Carroll is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the San Francisco Giants. When we come back, we'll be off to St. Louis and BaseballHQ.com analyst Phil Hertz. Coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! What a play by Wise! Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! Baseball HQ Radio. That was Mark Burley's perfect game if you're keeping score at home. Now listen, we all know that it's getting tougher and tougher to win in our fantasy baseball leagues as information is more and more widely disseminated. Everybody knows what's going on. But there's still one place you can get an advantage, and that's knowing your prospects. Even in leagues that don't have farm leagues. The prospects come up during the year, you got to know who they are. And that's why you need to look into the 2017 edition of the Minor League Baseball Analyst, Baseball HQ's annual guide to the prospects and trends that will help you win in your fantasy leagues. The Minor League Baseball Analyst has scouted more than a 1,000 prospects using Baseball HQ's exclusive player potential rating system, as well as sabermetric analysis, performance trends, and major league equivalents from the past five seasons. And there's lots more. Order your Minor League Baseball Analyst today for just $19.95 plus shipping and handling. And if you order directly from BaseballHQ.com slash MLBA17, enter the promo code MINERS at checkout and you'll get 5 bucks off your order plus a PDF copy of the book plus online updates of all 30 organizational lists and the top 50 fantasy prospects. Today's winning fantasy baseball players get on top and stay on top by knowing which prospects are the wannabes, the maybes, and the gonna-bees. So get to the top. Go to BaseballHQ.com MLBA17 and order your minor league baseball analyst today. And speaking of prospects, with St. Louis coming up in our team previews in just a second, it's time for the Minor League Minute. And here's BaseballHQ.com Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon with a look at St. Louis pitching prospect Luke Weaver. On the day that pitchers and catchers officially reported to spring training, the St. Louis Cardinals were dealt a devastating blow when it was announced that flame-throwing right-hander Alex Reyes would miss the entire 2017 season with an elbow injury that required Tommy John surgery. 
Fortunately for the Cardinals, they have excellent starting pitching depth, and even without Reyes, the starting five of Wainwright, Leak, Carlos Martinez, Lance Lynn, and Michael Waka should enable them to weather the setback. The injury to Reyes certainly opens the door for the Cardinals' top pitching prospect, Luke Weaver. The 23-year-old Weaver comes after hitters with a plus mid-90s fastball that tops out at 98 and a plus changeup. While some scouts and analysts see him as a two-pitch hurler, his currently fringy slider shows some potential and is offset by the fact that Weaver has excellent control. In 2016, Weaver walked just 10 while striking out 88 in 77 innings pitched at AA and has a career strikeout-to-walk ratio of 5.5 to go along with an impressive 1.78 ERA. When doing your draft prep, don't be scared away by Weaver's 2017 MLB stats, which include an ugly 5.70 ERA and a 3.01 opposition batting average against and 8 starts with the Cardinals. Weaver was very unlucky with a 40% hit rate, and his ex-ERA was much more respectable at 3.76. Until Luke Weaver secures a spot in the Cardinals starting rotation, he should be viewed strictly as an endgame only option in mixed redraft leagues, but he makes an excellent target in Dynasty and other long-term keeper leagues. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Minor League scouting is a critical part of BaseballHQ.com's comprehensive coverage of fantasy baseball. On the site right now, you'll find 2017 names to know in NCAA college baseball, some top prospects by position, the HQ100 top prospect list, and there's tons more now and more to come. If you need to know your prospects to compete in your leagues, and we all do, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, our last segment. I'm Patrick Davitt, and uh, with me again is Phil Hertz, who covers the Cardinals as a team analyst for BaseballHQ.com. Phil, welcome back, and uh, as we head into spring training, what are you watching on the Cardinals' uh, spring training roster? Um, well, I think there's a, a nice battle going to be brewing um, in the starting rotation. I think um, Leak and Wainwright and Carlos Martinez are all going to be in the rotation, but after that, the Cards can choose from... Uh, prospect Luke Weaver, um, who's an 8C and, and did struggle a bit with the Cardinals. And then they've got more established guys, uh, Michael Waka, who was really good in 15 but struggled last year. And finally, um, a rotation stalwart for much of his career but missed all of last year is Lance Lynn. And, of course, many of us watching that St. Louis rotation battle thought that rookie Alex Reyes might be part of the uh, skirmish. But, of course, Reyes was shut down with ulnar collateral ligament damage, and he'll have Tommy John surgery out for the season at least, maybe part of next season. So, Phil, which St. Louis player looks interesting to you from the value perspective? I'm not sure how much of value it is, but I, I really like Matt Carpenter. Um, I think the, the power surge we saw this year is going to stay in, but I think his, his batting average is actually going to go up. Um, and I like the fact that he's eligible at first, second, and third, which, you know, in, particularly in deep leagues, becomes a real asset when you can move the guy around. Um, another guy I think um, may be undervalued uh, in somewhat of a, once again, post-hype um, uh, era is uh, Randall Gritchick, who even spent part of last year. But um, I think you're looking at a guy who did 25 or 30 homers, and if you're in a league that uh, where you can stomach the, the batting average hit, he's a, a nice little... Um, guy that you can get probably for a little bit uh, less than he's worth. Phil, I know in Tout Wars you play National League, so there's going to be some players that you're going to be looking for, others you're going to avoid. Uh, who's a St. Louis Cardinal or two that you might be avoiding this draft? Um, I'm not prepared to pay what I think 
uh, Yadier Molina is going to go for. You know, his power is down. He's no longer stealing bases. Um, he used to be, you know, one of those guys that seemed to pay 140 games as a catcher. I think that's not going to happen. And uh, his 300 batting average last year was, um, I don't think, really supported by the skills. So I think, you know, he, you know in, he's a catcher. He's solid. If you can get him at a reasonable price, um, fine. But I think he's going to be inflated. Now, Phil, you mentioned rookie pitcher Luke Weaver when you were talking about the rotation battle. And, of course, Alex Reyes, we mentioned, is going to be out for the season. So uh, are there any other St. Louis prospects that we should be watching? Two other guys. Um, one is Harrison Bader, um, who uh, Baseball HQ gave an 8D to. Um, he had a really nice uh, first half of the season at AA Springfield. Struggled a bit at AAA Memphis, but, you know, he could wind up being the fourth outfielder or if somebody gets hurt, slotting in as a, one of the outfielders. And as I mentioned with Molina, uh, lurking behind him at some point is a guy named Carson Kelly, who at one time uh, was, re- was actually converted to catching a few years ago, but was considered to be a glove-first catcher, but suddenly started hitting 270, 280 in the minors. Um, so in a deep league where you might want to, st- and you need two catchers, you might want to stash him on reserve and see what happens during the course of the year. He could come up if Molina gets nicked. Okay, Phil, uh, thanks very much for bringing us up to speed on St. Louis. Uh, we'll have you back in a few minutes to close things out with the Washington Nationals. So we'll talk to you in a minute. Great. See you then. Phil Hertz covers the St. Louis Cardinals as a team analyst for BaseballHQ.com. Now let's go down to Florida and the Tampa Bay Rays. Analyst Matt Dodge, what's the big story as the Rays head into spring training? The worry in Tampa is that they seem to have collected outfielders uh, over the over the 2016-17 offseason, and it's not clear where they're all going to fit. Uh, they have added by trade uh, Malik Smith. They have added by free agent signing Colby Rasmus and added by a minor league contract signing of Ricky Weeks. So they add those to incumbents Kevin Kiermeyer and Steven Souza and Corey Dickerson, and there's a lot of players for not enough at-bats. And Kiermeyer with his defensive... Um, reputation is likely to lock down center field so there's a lot of players there who are battling for playing time in the outfield and one of them who could be quite interesting is Malik Smith if he could claim the job as a rookie with highly regarded speed potential he has a chance to take over the left field position at least the strong side of a platoon in the left field and that would give him fantasy relevance for stolen bases and runs scored if he can land at the top of the Rays lineup. Kiermaier's an interesting guy. I've been reading a lot about him as a potential offensive source, partly because of all the at-bats he's expected to get because of his defensive prowess. Uh, He reminds me a lot of uh, Kevin Pillar in Toronto, but he's a better hitter. Uh, When you look at this Tampa roster, where do you see potential value? I think there's value in Smith, as, as noted above. I think there's value in Matt Duffy, who may have been forgotten as he came midseason and then was, was out for surgery in the month of September. And you know he probably gets a mulligan with the league change and the injury and all of that. And 
he may be under the radar and might be able to surprise a little bit if he puts up full time at bats and builds on his his fine major league debut he had with San Francisco a few years back. One of the other players who might be interesting or a source of hidden value might be Sean Pollison, who the the Rays picked up as a fortification for their bullpen behind closer Alex Colomay. And, of course, Tolleson spent some time in the closer role in Texas, did it well in 2015 and not so well at the start of 2016. But as noted in the baseball forecaster, a lot of those problems in 2016 were bad luck-driven. And if he can rebound from that, there might be a chance for him to be a, a highly relevant reliever at the back of the Rays' pen. On the other side of the coin, what players on the Rays do you think owners should be a little bit questioning of their potential for value and worried about their potential to, to cause a loss? In, that, in the numbers game in the Rays' outfield, one of the players who would be a concern would be Steven Souza Jr., He's continued to have contact woes, uh, swinging the bat for Tampa. He could be the loser in that playing time derby. He could find himself on the short side of a platoon with Rasmus, and that would take his take his value way down because he's been near full-time. He's been a, a 70 to 80% kind of player for the last two years. And finally, the Rays have a well-earned sterling reputation for being able to draft and develop pitchers, not so much on the hitting side. Does the team have any rock rookies or prospects, hitting or pitchers, that we should be looking at as potential value sources coming out of the spring training or partway through the year? The easy answer on that one is Jose De Leon, who the Rays required in exchange for Logan Forsyth. De Leon comes in as one of the top prospects, if not the top prospect, top pitching prospect in the Dodger organization, and he is, he'll ascend to the same position if we were to rearrange the, the organizational report for Tampa. He may start slowly. There's a lot of off days in April uh, in order to get him acclimated to the team and to the environment. He may start for the first month or two of the season at AAA Durham, but there's a very good chance that he'll be up and accumulating a significant number of major league innings in 2017, and our all indications are that those will be effective innings. The Rays also have two other outstanding pitching prospects, Jake Faria, who is their number seven prospect, and Brent Honeywell, who's number two. Faria is probably closer, and depending on how the the Rays manage their staff, Faria could get a chance to pitch in the second half of 2017. Oh, Honeywell looks more like a 2018 visit. Okay, Matt, that brings us up to date on the Tampa Rays. You'll be back in a couple of minutes to talk about Toronto. But in the meantime, Matt Dodge is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the Rays. Now let's go off to Texas and once more, Rod Truesdell. Rod, there's an interesting roster battle already going on in Texas at first base between a guy who has retired and a guy who's not even under contract. What's going on there? <laughs> well, that, that's, that's true, at least as of uh, this recording. The uh, aforementioned uh, injured player, Prince Fielder, is still on the roster uh, for insurance purposes. He, he's on the 40-man roster. And uh, the player that, at least as we said uh, at this uh, recording that we're uh, talking about, is 
uh, as joining the club is Mike Napoli, uh, the uh, erstwhile ranger who's been on the club twice before. And it looks like at this uh, point that Napoli is going to take over that first base job and uh, will do so after the Rangers put Prince Fielder on the 60-day DL, which uh, is uh, mid-February is the first time you can do that. So that's when uh, that looks like it'll happen. That'll uh, really leave the only uh, roster spots available is a combination of corner outfield and DH. Uh, Shin Su Chu is, is the incumbent right fielder, but he's been plagued by injury, and, and the Rangers uh, have, have privately expressed to hope that he can move into at least part-time DH, and uh, that'll leave so that corner outfield spot, uh, which Nomar Mazzaro will fly between left and right and play just about every day, and then a combination of guys uh, that were on the club last year at various points and with various levels of success. They're counting on to fill in uh, Jurickson Profire, who, who seems like he's been around forever. A guy's just 24 still. Uh, got off to a great start when he was, was called up, but then really tailed off down the stretch, And uh, uh, which uh, there's some question about whether or not that was just basically endurance from not having played for two years. Uh, Profire also has struggled a lot against left-hand pitching uh, as a switch hitter, so he may be yet, though, in the mix, at least as a left-hand inside of a platoon. Uh, Ryan Rua, right-handed hitter, who has hit lefties well at times in the past. Uh, he's uh, slotted to probably fill in a, a short-side platoon and move between those first base, DH, left field spots in the order. And Rod, uh, Mike Napoli has in fact just signed a one-year, $6 million deal with Texas, so he will be in the Rangers lineup. And when we look at Mike Napoli, he's a pretty good hitter anyway, but his Texas years, his OPS has consistently been over the 900 mark, which is pretty good, even if you take into account some park effect. Maybe he just likes that Texas chili or something, but whatever the reason, it may be that we should bump Mike Napoli's value a buck or two. And speaking of bucks and value, Rod, when you look at this Rangers lineup, where do you see the potential draft value? A couple of guys, and, and the first one I want to mention, that you, you might say, like, really? Seriously, this guy's a value play? But you Darvish, um, to me, looks like a guy who could really turn in a big year. Of course, he came back from uh, Tommy John surgery last year, uh, was pretty effective, especially for a guy in his first year back, but the prevailing wisdom is that second year, that first maybe full year back uh, with a full spring training is, is the year when a lot of guys step it up, and uh, Darvish is, uh, by all reports, completely healthy. He's throwing bullpens already, uh, and uh, with his uh, terrific skills, great strikeout rate, um, he's the kind of guy that that could actually earn more uh, by by uh, just returning to previous levels than you might otherwise expect. Uh, a couple of other guys, one, one player that probably won't be on the roster to start the year but could end up being a valuable contributor as we go along is uh, Tyson Ross, the former San Diego uh, Padre and Oakland Athletic, who is... Uh, been injured, was essentially missed all of last year, and he'll be late to the party. Uh, he's had that thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, which the Rangers have actually had several pitchers uh, over the years that 
that had that all the way back to Kenny Rogers. And they've had good success bringing those guys along. So they expect Ross to, to return to the levels that he showed with the Padres where he was one of the toughest pitchers to hit in baseball with that wipeout slider. And uh, his ground ball profile also fits uh, well uh, in Texas. But he's a guy with, with some upside. And then the real wild card, the real do-you-feel-lucky guy is center fielder Carlos Gomez. Uh, came over to the Rangers after just utterly failing in Houston. And after working with the Rangers hitting coaches, uh, corrected some mechanical flaws in his swing and really uh, lit it up down the stretch, about a 900 OPS for the Rangers. And uh, he's a guy still with that 25, 20, 25-homer, 30, 35 steal upside that could really turn in value if you, again, if you feel lucky. Yeah, feeling lucky is the big question about Carlos Gomez for sure. But I bet you lots of people are going to now. Uh, at a certain price point, Carlos Gomez becomes a guy you want to avoid. Are there players on Texas who you think are definitely going to be overvalued? Well, I'm not buying into Andrew Kashner, another one of their uh, one-year free agent pitching signings who's been essentially handed a rotation spot. Uh, and sure, maybe a change of scenery will do him, do him well. But it's been several years of increasingly poor skills for him. Uh, back as, as recently as uh, really 2014, in a, a partial year, he, he looked okay. But even then, his, his peripherals was, weren't supporting uh, a, a low ERA turned down. And it's just gotten worse uh, since then. His control is, has gotten worse. Uh, his strikeouts are down, or at least they were last year. And he, he's another one that has been unable to stay healthy. And, again, with a, with a change of scenery, him reaching his, his peak age about now, uh, a former Texan or an, uh, a native Texan went to TCU. Uh, there's hope that, that he'll be comfortable and effective. But uh, he's a risky pickup as far as I'm concerned. And finally, uh, does the team have any rookies or prospects in the pipeline who could have a positive impact for fantasy purposes this season, whether they make the club out of spring training or come up partway through? Well, as you know, Patrick, uh, the Rangers have have traded away uh, several of their minor league chips over the last couple of seasons, uh, picking up uh, the likes of Cole Hamels and Jonathan Lucroy and and even Carlos Beltran uh, last year. So their their high minors uh, are a little thin. Of course, uh, one player they did keep who's not technically a rookie, but it has still a minimal big league experience is Joey Gallo. Uh, the light power, power carrying Joey Gallo, who also has been pretty much unable to put the ball in play when he's been called up. Uh, massive uh, strikeout problems. He's also a guy who has tended to take a little longer to adjust at each level. Uh, the thinking now is he'll probably start off in Triple A, but with any guy like that, if he finds that he had to play, he could be an asset. Um, another true rookie who has an opportunity to come out of spring is uh, it's due to an unfortunate situation. Uh, uh, the incumbent left-hand setup man, Jake Diekman, uh, had uh, colon surgery uh, just uh, uh, recently. He's going to be out for at least half a year. So there's 
the opening for a, a left-hander in that bullpen. They're well set from the right side, but uh, they may be able to spot in another lefty. Andrew uh, Faulkner is uh, a young player who has shown uh, good skills at times, especially in the minors, hasn't really carried it up to the majors, but he's a hard-throwing lefty uh, with, with some uh, good dominance rate who uh, could come in and pick up a few holds for him if he uh, shows well in spring training and, and continues to get guys out. Not going to figure into the ninth inning or anything along those lines, but for those leagues where uh, hold and width are, are uh, something you can have a contribution from a middle infield, a middle middle infielder, middle reliever, excuse me, uh, to contribute to, which is probably your deeper leagues, he could conceivably contribute. Okay, Rod, thanks very much for helping us out with the Rangers. Sounds like an interesting year in Texas. Uh, do appreciate you helping us out not only with Texas but with Seattle and Oakland this week, and I hope to be able to catch up with you during the season as well. Same here, Fady. My pleasure. Rod Truesdell is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the Rangers. Now let's cross the border. We're up here in my area. The Toronto Blue Jays and the analyst Matt Dodge. Matt, the Blue Jays made some changes during the, the uh, off season, especially losing Edwin Encarnacion. That seems to have created some opportunities. Where are the roster battles here? Jose Bautista's return, when he returned from injury in 2016, he spent a lot of time at the designated hitter position, which meant that Edwin Encarnacion spent time at first base. Now that Encarnacion has moved on and they've brought in Kendris Morales to take his at-bats, those at-bats are generally going to come out of the DH position because Morales really hasn't played more than 10 games at first base in a season for several, several years. So that opens up a first base competition in Toronto where the current main candidates are returnee Justin Smoke and recent signing but oft-injured Steve Pierce to cover the first base bag. Smoke, despite being a switch hitter, has, has continued to disappoint with the bat, while Pierce is in a late career revival and has improved his effectiveness against right-handers so that he's no longer a left-handed platoon-only option. And in fact, his numbers against right-handers beat those of smoke. So if Pierce could stay healthy, he might have a chance to take more of that share of first base and could even be a value play for teams looking for that kind of a player. Beyond Steve Pierce, do you see any other sources of profit here on this Blue Jays roster? I think Morales, despite being a DH only, he, he rides a, a very nice uh, ballpark effect move from Kansas City to Toronto. He, he is a plus 28% in home run park effects from each side of the plate with the move to the Rogers Center, and that may go unnoticed by some people in fantasy drafts and open a buying opportunity. Toronto looks like they have some players that are going to be familiar enough to be dangerous. Do you see any potential sources of lost value here, people uh, maybe overestimating what these players might do? We talked about Kevin Kiermeyer while we discussed Tampa. His junior clone, Kevin Pillar, in Toronto, he also offers a stellar defense 
that keeps him in the game and allows him to accumulate a lot of at-bats. The problem is is that his productivity for those at-bats, at-bats went down in 2016. So the number of stolen bases he, he amassed and the number of home runs he was able to poke, those were all, you know, the rates were down despite the similar level of at-bats. So while people are buying the at-bats, those at-bats are bringing less value associated with them. So I think there's a chance to be short there. And finally, the team uh, has some interesting chips in the minor leagues. Uh, do you see anybody breaking camp with the team or coming up during the season who might offer some potential fantasy value? There's two situations to look at. One could be, as an, an outfielder, both Dalton Pompey, who in AAA, and Anthony Elford, who is in high A and will probably start the year at AA, both of them have a chance to make the Toronto roster Pompey at the beginning of the year and Alfred later in the year, but probably at this point a, in a fourth outfielder role, which isn't the best thing to do for developmental purposes, but that could still get them a handful of at-bats or more, depending on how the season unfolds. Another prospect who could be interesting is Rowdy Tellez, who received a spring training invite, and his major league equivalents from his 2016 stay in AA New Hampshire projected to a 22 home run and 288 batting average in 438 at-bats. So while MLEs are not always an exact predictor, that kind of combination of power and contact and eye could give him an opportunity to step into the first base situation if Smoke doesn't impress and if Pierce can't stay healthy. Tellez looks like he's got a fairly clear path because the the options at first base, as you said earlier, are just simply not that good. Uh, Matt, thanks for helping us out, not just with the Jays, but with the entire American League East, as well as the Kansas City Royals. Do appreciate it, and we'll catch up with you during the year. Thanks a lot, Patrick. I enjoyed it. Matt Dodge is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the Blue Jays. Now let's go off to Washington and BaseballHQ.com analyst Phil Hertz. Phil, Washington's one of the premier teams in baseball. Looks like they have a very settled lineup. Are there any battles that we need to watch as fantasy owners? Well, uh, at this point at least, um, we have no idea who's going to close for the Nationals. Um, There was even some reports recently that... um, uh, Mike Maddox, the pitching coach, who's really advocating for a committee. I mean, there's three candidates in-house. Um, Sean Kelly, who had uh, a great year last year. He, was, he struck out 12.4 batters per nine innings. Um, he, he was, his command was 7.3, meaning strikeouts to walks. But he also has, has had a history of health injuries. He's had two Tommy John injuries. And the last time I think everybody saw him, he was walking off the mound in the playoffs holding his arm, um, and I've heard that the Nationals don't believe he can pitch three days in a row, which will mean that at a minimum some there will be some stray saves. The other two candidates, um, at least uh, likely candidates, are Blake Trinan, um, who could really um, jump up if he could do a little bit better than, with his control. He, he's a guy that seems to walk a little bit too many batters, and he also seems to occasionally just have those bad outings that come out of nowhere. And uh, the dark horse might be Coda Glover, who was a rookie last year. Um, when you look at his numbers,
numbers, be aware that he pitched hurt in September, and, and that sort of um, uh, messes up you, when you look at his numbers. Um, but the, the real issue is, uh, will there be somebody by, this, you know, uh, start by the 1st of March? The Nationals have been essentially in on every potential closer this year and have lost. And uh, Mike Rizzo also has had a predilection of bringing in somebody in midseason, even when the incumbent's been doing pretty well. So, but that's the area, the biggest area I think you got to watch with Washington is um, who's going to close, and if it's going to be somebody in house or somebody from um, via trade. I hope they don't get somebody by trade because I'd like to see a good team with a really good pitching coach manage that bullpen by committee and look at leverage and those kind of situations and match players to teams because I think I think that's a real opportunity for a good club. Uh, which players on the Washington roster, Phil, look interesting to you from a value point of view? I think it's a real tough one. I was thinking about that. Um, you know, the it, the guys who were down last year were either so far down that you don't think they're likely to come back like a Ryan Zimmerman or, you know, or Bryce Harper and the fact that they were down doesn't matter to his value. He's going to be too, too expensive, you know, or vis-a-vis his overall record. Um, but the, the one guy that I've certainly, or two guys that I've been looking at are uh, Derek Norris, who, who now is going to be the everyday catcher. Um, he's got pop. He actually stole some bases last year. He did hit below the Mendoza line, but he'll be in a little bit better park for hitters, and he'll also be surrounded by a little bit more. So he could be, you know, if he gets his um, batting average up into the 230, 240 range, and he could be returning double-digit value. And another guy um, to keep an eye on is Stephen Drew. Uh, when you look around the there there aren't a lot of bench alternatives, and um, Drew can pretty much fill in at every infield position except first, and Daniel Murphy can move over if you know they needed somebody at first. Um, and last year he he had a 284 xBA and a 155 px, um, although that was only in 143 at bats. But you know he's a veteran and he probably is a guy you can get for a buck. And if the if the uh, dice rolls the right way, you might wind up getting somebody ten dollars at value. A 143 PX, meaning uh, 43% above league average power. Uh, Phil, you mentioned uh, Bryce Harper. There's a lot of discussion about how much to bid on Bryce Harper. I'll ask you what you think that's going to be, and which player on this club do you think savvy owners should avoid, maybe starting with Bryce Harper? Yeah, well, he's one of the two guys that I'm, I'm going to avoid. Um, I, I wouldn't go above $30 on Harper. I, you know, He might give you that $45, $50, but he's... He's only returned over, I think, $25 once in his career. So, um, you know, and, and it's been five years now. So it could be that 2015 was the the uh, the odd year out as opposed to all the other years. Um, so I'm not, you know, I don't expect to get him in many leagues. Um, and the other guy I'm not going to get is going to be Trey Turner. Um, uh, so I, I saw somebody, I think uh, I read over the weekend in one draft he went 1-1 ahead of Trout. Uh, which is just absurd. Um, you know, his he, he his uh, 350 batting average probably should have been more like 290. Um, there's going to be, I think, some adjustments to him. So, you know, yeah, he's good, but you know, he's not a first rounder in my mind. And I think we had an article about that on on our web page already about that. You know, you know, think about where Carlos Correa went last year and and what he ended up returning, which. Clearly, you know, in a keeper league, having Turner is great, but buying him this year is probably a mistake. 
And you mentioned uh, we've talked about the uh, Nationals being a pretty solid set team. Are there any rookies or prospects coming up that we should be aware of? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking at three different uh, youngsters who uh, could wind up in the rotation. You know, the Nats have, um, you know, their five starters um, that are, I think, pretty established, Scherzer, Strasburg, uh, uh, Gio Gonzalez, um, I'm blanking on him, but the, the five guys that everybody expects to be there, but uh, Joe Ross. Uh, but Ross and Strasburg missed good chunks of last year, and a lot of the guys that everybody expected to be their backups, like Lucas Giolato and Ronaldo Lopez, are now off to the White Sox. Um, so the guys I'm looking at are Eric Fetty, um, uh, A.J. Cole, and Austin Voss, who are all rookies. Um, the guy I, I'm, I'm most interested in is Fetty, who um, is a former first-rounder who, who, kind of like Lucas Gelato, had a Tommy John surgery almost from the, before he was even uh, drafted. Um, and he dominated last year at high A, although he struggled a bit at double A. Um, we give, uh, Baseball HQ considers him the number three prospect on the team, and it gives him an A-B rating. Um, so he, he, if, you know, he, he's going to start the year at triple A, but if he does well there and there's an injury, um, he, he'll, he's the most likely guy, I think, to pop into the rotation. All right, Phil, thanks for covering the Washington Nationals for us, as well as your other teams. Uh, you did Atlanta, Miami, the Mets, the Phils, and St. Louis. Uh, you're a busy guy this off season, and I really appreciate your help. Thanks, Patrick. I'm looking forward to a great season at uh, Baseball HQ and with my fantasy teams. Phil Hertz is the BaseballHQ.com team analyst for the Washington Nationals. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, February 17th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number two of the 2017 Fantasy Baseball season, part two of our Fantasy Team Previews. I also want to thank our team analysts from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, don't you know? We got tremendous insight these last two weeks from Rob Carroll, Matt Dodge, Rick Green, Phil Hertz, Tom Kephart, Jock Thompson, and Rod Truesdell. And I want to thank BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon, who had our minor league minute again this week. I'm Patrick Davitt. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And be sure to check out my first master notes of the season, which you can read for free by going to BaseballHQ.com on Saturday morning. You can also have master notes delivered to your inbox free every week in the Fantasy Baseball Friday e-newsletter. Just look on the right-hand side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage, click on the blue box that says Free Newsletter, and enter your email address where it says to enter your email address. The free Fantasy Baseball Friday newsletter is designed to help you get to know Baseball HQ, to show off our approach and our methods, and to give you a weekly behind-the-paywall peek at the analysis that helps our subscribers win their leagues. Each Friday newsletter includes Playing Time Today, Baseball HQ's news and analysis, Facts and Flukes, our player skills analysis. There are links to articles from BaseballHQ.com, including strategies, buyer's guides for starters, relievers, and hitters, minor league analysis, and a whole lot more. You'll also get promotions and discounts for Baseball HQ products. Try the boxer briefs, they're really good. And as I said, every week you'll get my Master Notes commentary. Just go to BaseballHQ.com, click the link, and enjoy the free Fantasy Baseball Friday e-newsletter every week. Also remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. 
You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt, and please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com. And you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to iTunes, add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with our first regular edition of Baseball HQ Radio for 2017. National League and American League news and analysis and all the other features that help us help you get fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk to you next week. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.